CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sunjog All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjog All. Good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. As always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for the show as hashtag Big Data. Today's topic is reforming education with big data, and our guests for today's show are Charlie McMahon, who's the VP of IT and CTO with Tulane University. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? Good morning. I'm well. How are you? Oh, could not be better. It is a beautiful Sunday. Uh, why did I say Sunday? I almost feel like it's Sunday, right? Uh, it is a Wednesday morning uh, in Chicago, so so it is it is beautiful. So things are going good with you? They are. Uh, it's also <clears throat> a beautiful morning here in New Orleans. And I'll have to say, given the history that all of your listeners are aware of in um, I, you know, with New Orleans about this time of the year, we're grateful for that. Oh, that is so true. Now, we also have David Kunz, who is the VP of Research and Adaptive Learning from Newton. Good morning, David. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. It's also a beautiful day here in New York City. Great. Now, so with the, with the school year just starting, uh, we wanted to take a look at the topic today, which is close to very, my heart. And like many people, I'm a parent and I want the best for my kids. I want them to be able to learn at their own pace, be challenged, and have the absolute best. And yet sometimes that's difficult. And the other kids in my child's classes are given the same methods and textbooks as thousands of others. So how can we start thinking about technology to help our kids meet their full potential? So to that end, Charlie, the first question um, I'd, I'd like to pose here is that what do you think is the evidence to show that education really is a need for reform? There have been, of course, you know, people who are in pro uh, of, of this. Uh, they, they are supporting this particular uh, agenda or some other people say everything is good. Well, this is a, an interesting and, of course, complex question to, um, to deal with. Uh, it's, I think, undisputed that higher education in the United States uh, is the model that all of the rest of the world aspires to. Uh, we do better at educating uh, at the college levels than any other uh, nation in the world. Uh, now, having said that, that doesn't mean everything is, is rosy. There are reports that you see in the news over and over again of people being lured into uh, very expensive educational processes that have questionable outcomes, that leave people without, <clears throat> without knowledge or skills or better uh, opportunities for employment or, or better opportunities for uh, living a good, full uh, life that contributes to society. So I think if I look at, at uh, where we, we have evidence for reform, uh, and for the need for reform, it really centers around those uh, institutions at the margin that don't provide good value to their students. Uh, and, and we see examples of that in the press um, almost weekly uh, these days. So, David, when you come from your vantage point, and of course your organization is attempting to do what was otherwise, you know, was almost seen as very difficult or even impossible in terms of getting a fundamental uh, insight that how people are really getting educated, what is it that they really need, and how do you build a fit-for-purpose, highly intelligent education system? So what is what is your... Uh, pitch to the rest of the world why we need a reform, why should we change the way we are getting our kids educated and the way we went ahead and took our education? Right. No, that's a great question. Um, I mean, if you look at the, at the educational system today, uh, I mean, one of the things that you see is that, uh, you know, dropout rates are high. Um, you know, 30% of high school students uh, don't graduate. Forty-six percent of U.S. college students don't graduate, uh, and uh, and yet we live in a world in which 
uh, increasingly uh, having a very both broad and deep uh, understanding of of the world in which we live in is critical uh, to uh, uh, being a productive member of society, uh, of getting a job, keeping that job, and advancing in that job. Uh, and um, and so clearly something uh, is not working right. Um, we're also at a uh, at a really interesting point in history right now where. Uh, we are trans, where education is moving, uh, from print, uh, you know, from, from the, the Gutenberg innovation, uh, of hundreds of years ago, uh, to the digital innovation of today. All of the content, uh, is, is moving online and that affords opportunities for us, uh, that have never existed before to provide, uh, highly personalized, uh, education to millions and millions of students. Um, that's just uh, a, a new fact about the world. Uh, and given that we have that opportunity, and given that uh, we have these these failures in the educational chain, uh, it's an opportunity that I think we need to seize. Now, um, Charlie, when we look at the way the world is changing, or perhaps it's moving at a fast pace, we want new skills, uh, we want to prepare people for far more complex um, areas in which they want to be trained in, do you think all of those areas we understand well today and uh, is our education system morphing towards that direction where we are more progressive and more at par with the pace at which the world wants us to be? Well, I, I do believe we are uh, are transforming ourselves at a fairly uh, rapid pace. I mean, if, if you think about how education has been delivered since uh, since Plato, we haven't changed an awful lot, you know, over these last uh, few thousand years. Now we have different media that that are available to reach large numbers of people very efficiently, very effectively. You couple that. Also, with a, uh, a society uh, of, of learners who are uh, predisposed to consume information in that manner. Uh, and I'll give you a, a, a kind of a crude example here. Uh, at, at Tulane University, we are pulling cable TV out of our residence halls and are going to let students uh, consume entertainment content uh, completely over their their IP connections, over the Internet, uh, so to speak. Um, we, we see that propensity of, of our new students interacting with information uh, in the palm of their hands, uh, also spilling over into the way they like to get educational content. So the things that you've seen recently, flipping the classroom, having short, uh, instructional videos that students can access uh, prior to coming to class for a lecture has proven to be very effective. Uh, you think of, of things like MOOCs where we're, we're able to deliver large amounts of information to students uh, at a very low marginal cost uh, as, as a new uh, method of imparting information. Now, we don't have that right yet. Um, you know, I was talking to a uh, provost at Stanford who's been one of the leaders in developing MOOC technology and, and acknowledges we don't have it right yet, but we're going to get it right. Uh, that type of technology is going to be transformative, uh, but we've got more work to do to get the technology right so that it delivers these customized educational experiences for uh, our students, uh, both, both formal and casual learners. Very interesting uh, response, Charlie. And David, I'm going to come back to you. Based on what Charlie just said, we, if we have the new type of plumbing, which is the way we disseminated information to people, that is transforming and we are going to make full use of it. Now come to also the people who are consuming that information. They understand the device and whichever device they are on, they would want to consume. But what they want to consume or how they want to learn, 
people are looking for personalization in every, any and every aspect of their lives, including education. So sitting from a student standpoint, they are, yes, they're going to be very happy if they, instead of having to go to this class or, or maybe even in the class, they can learn from their iPads, but they also want some personalization in that area as well. So that it doesn't look like it was a broadcast from a professor and every student got exactly the same message, whether or not they were truly interested in it. What do you think? Is this, is this, is this, is this, am I, am I going in the right direction in terms of the trends that you see? Well, so, uh, yeah, first, uh, you know, I, I totally agree with Charlie. Um, the, the technology, uh, is, uh, is providing, uh, access in, in ways that it never has before. And that's a really important step. Um, what Newton is trying to do is bring, you know, highly personalized, high quality education to, uh, each individual student. And, uh, when, when you as the student, uh, you know, are, are online interacting with a MOOC, uh, or, uh, with, uh, a, uh, an online learning management system, uh, everything that you do, the, the, uh, homework assignments that you do, the tests that you take, the activities that you engage in, and the, uh, you know, the material that you read, all of that generates data, uh, that is collectible and analyzable. Uh, and we use that data to try and understand how a student learns, uh, what they know and what they don't know, uh, and what kinds of uh, approaches to learning uh, work best for them now. Uh, and the reason for doing that is because uh, what we're trying to do is maximize the probability uh, that a student will achieve their educational goals. Um, and uh, it might be that right now getting this piece of content, getting this little bit of instruction uh, in this way, in a graphical form or, or using this kind of analogy or in a little chunk as opposed to a big chunk, is what's going to move you forward most. Whereas 20 minutes from now or tomorrow, it might be a different approach. And so at each moment, we're trying to figure that out. And that helps then, I think, I mean, whether a student is, is on their iPad, uh, or, uh, in the class working with, with a teacher or professor, and that teacher or professor has a dashboard, uh, that gives them information about how that student learns, all of that, uh, you know, ultimately provides better educational outcomes. Yeah, let so, me echo what David, what David has said here. Um, you know, there is, uh, I think, a trend for letting students decide what they want to study. But, but where I really believe we are headed as our next step is, is uh, wrapping some intelligence around, mining the data around how the best way to present a body of information to the, the learner uh, would be, to the student. Uh, you know, there, we are still in an environment where Someone is going to say, here is the content uh, we want you to learn, and at the end of that process, we're going to do some kind of assessment to certify that you have learned that. You know, right now, that's primarily driven by a university who puts together a curriculum and says, if you're going to be proficient in calculus, here are the things you have to know. That I can see in, in a you know, very near term where that might be a corporation that comes and says, um, we're hiring a cohort of, of workers for a class of, uh, of jobs that need to be filled, and we're going to define the curriculum that needs to be learned uh, and present it in, in a MOOC-like uh, environment. Uh, and the ability to sense uh, and individualize not so much the content, but the way that content is delivered uh, to, our, to our consumers, to our students, uh, is going to be a really important emerging trend in education. Let's take a quick yeah. break, listeners. Uh, when we come back, let's explore this further. So, Charlie, you're saying that almost every type of education that we are getting today, which is collegiate or elementary, eventually it's going to become almost like a vocational uh, education where it will be fit for purpose and that too will be driven by a corporation. So uh, yeah, how, we can explore that when we come back. Exactly, exactly. So, so let's uh, stay, please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back.
The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Charlie, you did mention a very interesting phenomena that you see that is likely to happen where professionals or, or professionals will be created on demand by a corporation who have a need that they want to meet. Now, that becomes almost like a vocational uh, training of source, which is on demand. But is that going to become the fabric of how our uh, people will get educated and join the society and workforce? Well, so I don't know that it will become uh, a dominant model, but certainly I can envision, uh, you know, a few things that might trigger that to be become a, a reality in the near future. Uh, imagine an economy that is booming, and and corporations are finding it hard to get new graduates with the skills they want to fill the jobs that they have. Uh, so we're an efficient market, and and in a capitalistic society. Uh, when we have a, a uh, demand, we're going to find a solution to, uh, to supply that need. And, and I can see a corporation stepping forward, much in the way you might see in, in Japan, creating cohorts that uh, substitute for some of the things we think of traditionally as, uh, uh, as the benefits of, uh, of getting a college education. David, in, from, from, from the area that you come from, which is helping the organizations understand what the, does the person as an individual student want to learn and what are their strengths and weaknesses and accordingly tailor-make the, the education, that is to not have them become mechanics but rather engineers. That is not just they know how to do certain things but also why so they can improvise as the, as the world changes around them. What is it that you are after? What problem are you trying to solve? as an organization yourself. Right. Yeah. We what we're the the challenge uh so so systems to uh help computer aided instruction has been around for a long time. Uh you know, thirty plus years people have been uh working on ways to take advantage of the power that a computer brings to help the educational process. Uh 
the big challenge there is how to do that at very large scale, how to do that for millions and millions and millions of students uh, in essentially real time. So the access problem is one that, that we've talked about already. Uh, but if the access problem is solved uh, and students are uh, engaged with activities online so that data collection is possible, uh, there's a technical challenge uh, around how you manage to process all of that information quickly enough uh, and appropriately enough. But the bigger challenge is that humans are complex uh, and uh, we need to model their behavior uh, not just their behavior, but uh, their their learning patterns, uh, recollection and forgetting, uh, all, you know, um, uh, affective affective states uh, like frustration and boredom. All of those kinds of factors play a role in uh, the um, uh, a, a student's ability uh, or propensity to learn. And so, part of our challenge is to model those things so that we can. Um, uh, so that we can then make good predictions and, and recommendations to students and teachers and parents about what those students should be doing next. Yeah, so David, you, you really hit on what I think is a very important point. Uh, we have lots of data that, that exists about ourselves and our preferences and our habits, and there's, there's actually a big discussion around privacy and control of that data now. Um, Microsoft did something fairly interesting uh, a year or so ago. They had a couple of researchers sit down and ask this, this, this question. What will you be doing 285 days from now at 2 o'clock in the afternoon? And you, you think, boy, that's a question that can't be solved. But it turns out that if, if we allow information about our habits, our you know, the, 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 the routine things of our lives that you can pretty accurately predict what you're going to be doing, where you're going to be 285 days from now at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You know, so to the extent that we are, are willing to let our data be available for analysis, we can learn all kinds of interesting things that make our lives better. Um, you know, some, some crude examples. If you have ever ordered a book on Amazon, uh, you know, after you've ordered one or two, Amazon starts making suggestions that say, if you like this one, maybe you'll like that one. Or if you've ever ordered a pizza from, uh, from Domino's, uh, you know, they will remember that last time you got a thin crust pepperoni with breadsticks and a two-liter Pepsi. Um, you know, by letting that information be available, letting people mine that information, uh, we can do things for those individuals that make their lives easier and better uh, and, and actually add value. Much the same thing that, uh, that you're talking about, David, in, in understanding how people learn, in, in analyzing deeply the, the information about the process they go through to provide value in the learning uh, environment. Yeah, that's David, right. There are, yes, go ahead. Yeah, David, what do you think is more important, enabling the understanding of a professor or an academic institution to understand each individual, and then they are in a better position to lead those individuals, or is it better to enable that individual who is the subject uh, or the person who is actually going to be educated or who will be benefiting from all this analysis and accordingly whatever tactics you're going to use to get them impart education. Who are you right. focusing on? Well, it's 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 not an either or; it's a both. Um, the uh, I mean, think about think about some of the best uh, teachers that you've had when you were growing up. Um, right, one of the things that made them uh, great teachers. Uh, you know, was that, uh, they were engaging, certainly. Uh, but one of the, but, but another aspect of it was that when you were struggling with something, they were able to come up with, uh, an explanation, an approach, an analogy, something that you were able to latch onto that, that made it click for you when you said, oh, oh yeah, now I get it, right? Um, what we're trying to do is increase the, frequency and probability of that aha moment. Uh, and, and, and that comes 
from two different directions, both by providing the student as much as possible with the kinds of instruction uh, and uh, uh, the kinds of information that are most suited for them, but also by providing uh, the t- their teachers uh, with uh, insight into that student that ordinarily uh, they couldn't get. If you think about a high school teacher, a typical high school teacher, they may have 150, uh, 180 students that they see every day. Uh, and, you know, they, they may know well uh, the five or ten best students and the five or ten worst students. And the other 130, 140 students in the middle, they just don't have the opportunity to get to know as well by being able to provide them with uh, the kind of insight that they could only get uh, ordinarily through uh, uh, extended interaction with those students, which they simply don't have time for. Uh, they can contribute to that aha moment in ways that perhaps they couldn't before. So, Charlie, if you were to look at the way the education system is, are there any systemic problems which this approach is likely to solve for us? Oh, boy, you like to ask big, hard questions, don't you? Hey, I I get paid for that, Charlie. (laughs) Um, Well, I I think that that, um, when you talk about education at scale, Certainly, there are uh, issues that uh, that these technologies are going to help solve. Uh, David David put his finger really on the essence of of a good teacher and a good learning experience, where that where the teacher has an opportunity to observe uh, the the struggles that a student is having and find ways to. Uh, to reach that student, to may help them break through an understanding of a concept. The, the key in, in these massively online environments is how to replicate that for hundreds of thousands of people uh, simultaneously. And in my view, the way that's going to happen is by, by leveraging social media types of interactions that, that many of our um, new matriculating students are already familiar with. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of the very early successful MOOCs was a, was a course on artificial intelligence. Uh, and it happened to be something I was interested in, so I signed up for that course. It was uh, amazing the social uh, structures that evolved almost instantly with this course. Uh, I remember signing up in the the expectation was we were going to have about 8,000 students. There were 160,000 that registered. We had cohorts within that group uh, that formed natural affinities for each other who, who kind of helped fulfill the role that the teacher uh, typically has in, in David's uh, earlier explanation. Uh, so the ability, for example, for... Uh, students to help each other solve problems, uh, answer questions, uh, enhance understanding has got to be enabled by social media. And it turns out that, that we're pretty efficient about that, that pretty quickly students um, understand uh, when someone, you know, when Charlie says, uh, here's what I think, that Charlie's opinion has a certain value based on the collective judgment of the, of the group. You know, either I'm usually right or I'm usually wrong, uh, but that gets understood pretty quickly. And by the way, that's a, a proxy for that, that some employers are starting to look at to say how good an employee is this person likely to be. If they've been in a MOOC uh, in this social environment where they've worked uh, autonomously, where they have... Um, been able to leverage groups and lead projects, uh, all of a sudden now you've got information to be mined as a prospective employer that is value-add uh, on top of simply can they pass the test or not. So if, if you were to look at, David, where we are with respect to creating the tactics so that we will be better in terms of imparting education and students will be better in terms of receiving the education and make full use of it. How are we measuring the baseline and how are we measuring 
the incremental improvement that may have happened based on some insight that you gathered and based on that some uh, you know new strategies were you know deployed to incrementally improve the way the exchange happened and education happened and the learning happened. But before you get into it, let's stay. Uh, we will take a quick break. Uh, li- please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, David, when we are talking about anything in order for us to make investments and we want to see results, there has to be a baseline and there has to be a measurable improvement or degradation for that matter or some sort of a measure that will tell us whether we are going in the right direction or not. So what is the starting point any educational institution can have as a baseline, and what should they be measuring as they go about finding out more about the students and the teaching methods and the effectiveness and then make changes and then later on find whether that all that money and all that effort really paid the dividends or not? Right. No, great question. I mean, and there are... There are both internal and uh, and external measures uh, that are are worth looking at. Um, you know, for the the big kind of high level things uh, uh, are things that we mentioned already. Things like dropout rates. Uh, you know, over the those are those are long term uh, uh, indicators, uh, but of course, absolutely critical ones. If we start to see dropout rates fall. Uh, if we start to see passing rates uh, uh, increase, uh, those are good indicators that uh, that uh, the student that the educational process is improving. Um, there's a danger there uh, in that uh, you could easily make dropout rates uh, um, go down and passing rates go up by circumventing the system, right? By simply promoting students, uh, and there've been some. Uh, there have been some school districts uh, that have been uh, uh, engaged in that activity in years past. But, uh, but at the bottom line, you know, we are uh, we're trying to make sure that students are able to know and do the things that they need to be able to know and do in order to be productive members of society. So uh, another kind of thing that that uh, that we look at. Um, 
If you think about the kinds of indicators that we have right now, uh, we have report cards uh, when students are young. Uh, we have standardized test scores, uh, uh, college admission tests, you know, uh, high school exit exams, uh, and we have, uh, you know, postgraduate uh, uh, assessments of various sorts. Um, those are very coarse uh, indicators that happen very sporadically. Um, being able to collect uh, and analyze uh, the data that students generate over the course of their educational career uh, enables the, the creation of essentially this learning profile uh, that at any given moment uh, provides kind of direct insight uh, into what a student knows and doesn't know, what they've mastered and what they haven't. Uh, and uh, that, I think, more than anything else, will be able to tell us uh, uh, whether, um, whether education is improving and whether educational outcomes are improving. Charlie, if you were to invite uh, someone like Newton as an organization who provides this insight or, or claims to provide this insight, and they were to work on pay for performance versus a flat fee up front, and this is just a makeup scenario, what is it that you would set as expectations that if I am going to be able to uh, get this quantifiable results, only then I owe you X, otherwise not, and what challenges would Newton have in accepting those? Because if you put something as high uh, as uh, or, or a goal like, okay, if my dropouts reduce or if my grades incrementally increase across the board, but that's not a direct measure. That's not actually giving you any idea about the cause and effect because there are multiple variables which would come into play besides putting in a big data solution. So coming in context with the big data solution, if applied in the education systems, what performance indicators, what KPIs would you be looking for? Well, so I'm going to, I'm going to kind of narrow the scope of your question a little bit and just talk about uh, a, an institution like Tulane, uh, a, I'll say elite, um, you know, PhD granting uh, institution um, that, you know, and, and so this is going to ignore, uh, I think, very real, um, societal issues that uh, that uh, we might have with dealing with uh, you know dropout rates as an example. Um, now I have to say something about about this because it's an important important issue. Uh, you know when, when we focus on on improving dropout rates, uh, we really are ignoring some of the societal issues that we have in the uh, in folks with. Uh, lower incomes where it may not be possible for an individual to go to school uh, exclusively full-time for four years or five years and get a degree. You know, we may be looking at individuals that have to work a semester and take a semester off, I mean, you know, take a semester off to work to save up enough money to buy, to pay for the next semester. But I think it's a little bit unfair to certain segments of society uh, to to say this is a you know, one of the outcomes that's really desirable. So now, having said that, with my caveat, if, if I were to invite Dave uh, into Tulane and say, here are a couple of issues that we deal with that we want you to help us with and, and help us in uh, by mining the data that you can, you can access uh, to help, it focuses on two things, one on recruitment and, and the second on retention. By recruitment, you know, we, we need to attract enough of the right students to, to fill our classrooms. Because just like any other business, a university is better when it operates at full capacity. It's the most efficient from a cost standpoint, the most appropriate way. Uh, we all, all universities struggle with these two issues. Do we, can we attract the right kind of students? And once we attract them, can we keep them? And, and this goes, you know, certainly to the things that, that David has been talking about. You know, how do we understand the progression students are making uh, day to day, year to year, 
uh, in, in moving towards uh, completion of a degree. Some of that is certainly um, uh, knowable by mining information about their performance in the classroom. Some of the things that are important to us really uh, deal with social issues. Uh, and so I'll, I'll say, for example, at Tulane, there are two, when, when students fail to come back, say, between their sophomore and junior years or between their freshman and sophomore years, there are two things that typically um, uh, we see topping the list. One is that they're homesick. And by that, I don't mean they want to go home to mommy and daddy, but, but you know, maybe most of their friends went to a different school and they want to be with their friends. And the second uh, comes down to, to money. Uh, you know, they just don't have enough money to continue uh, their education and have to stop for a while. So if David were able to come in and provide data that helped us attract the right students, and once we'd attracted them, helped us keep the students uh, in school, that would be a big win. <laughs> I can't help with the money. Uh, and uh, and I, I don't know that we can help very much with the homesickness. Um, yeah, but actually but I think you can, David. You know, I think that by, uh, by mining social, social media, you can understand that, um, that uh, when we're recruiting uh, a, a very desirable student from a, a location that maybe that's the only student from this, this school or city, uh, that, that by mining the social media, you may be able to say, Charlie, you need to go attract these three other students also because they're part of the social clique and they fit your profile of a student. And now we have created a little mini cohort that ensures that all three of these students uh, may have a more successful uh, experience at uh, a place like Tulane. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. Hey, you got a million-dollar idea from Charlie on this show, David. So what, what would you do further to uh, expand on what Charlie just mentioned in terms of how he would have liked to utilize your organization to help meet that need? And how are you com going to compare this with many other use cases where you may have had conversations with other leaders within educational institution? And what are they looking for? Oh, we... You know, on the admission side, uh, you know, again, the, the, the measures that we have right now, uh, I mean, that are widely in use right now are fairly coarse. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, the, the admissions officers at, at Tulane or at other universities are, are quite skilled at, at identifying uh, characteristics that will make a good uh, a mix, that will make a good community at their, at their university. Um, Adding to their uh, the information that they use to process that information about how students learn uh, and work together, uh, I think might also be really valuable. One of the things that we do do at present <clears throat> is provide a a mechanism, uh, for example, in our in our math readiness product uh, that that lets uh, instructors create study groups. Uh, uh, blends of students who, uh, along a variety of different dimensions, students who, uh, are struggling with the same thing, for example, or students who are working on the same kinds of material, because in an adaptive learning environment, all your students may be all over the place in terms of what they're working on. Um, but most importantly, uh, we also enable uh, instructors to put together groups of students who are complementary in certain ways, whose, whose approaches to learning are complementary or whose uh, knowledge base is complementary. So oh, we can identify students who are strong in one area and weak in another and pair them with groups of students who uh, are weak in that first area and strong in another so that they can teach and learn from each other. Uh, and, and that on the retention side, at least in the universities. Uh, where that's been implemented, uh, this is something that both students and instructors alike seem to be uh, 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 very happy with. So let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And when we do come back, how about uh, looking at the loss of human element if you went to big data-ish, if you will, 
in terms of your uh, ability to identify what that human being wants or does not want. So the relationship between professor and, uh, and anyone who is in academia and the student is a very sacred one. When we start bringing too much of computer-based intelligence on how I should assess that individual as a student, would there be a risk that we would lose that relationship and we will try to use them as subjects versus individuals? Uh, what, would, what could be the negative aspect of introducing way too much uh, computing and or big data-based or big data-centric uh, insight to manage your students and the relationships? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So in short, Charlie, would introduction of big data and trying to get uh, analytics and insights govern everything that we do with education, would that sever the relationship between a professor and a student and make it more uh, a scientist and a subject? Well, so we do have risk with this, uh, with this technology. One of the, the real risks that concerns me is that while <clears throat> using um, – MOOC-like technology can reach millions of more people than, are, than can currently access a university education. We are creating uh, an, an opportunity for a more elite, uh, you know, a sharper divide between people that can get an elite education versus, say, uh, say a MOOC or an online general uh, kind of education. So I think there is some risk there, <clears throat> not so much the scientist subject, but the uh, continuation of the haves and have-nots, just uh, uh, <clears throat> offering more opportunities to um, people that currently have none, uh, which I think overall is going to be a positive. I, I don't think this is a, a negative. Now, I'm also going to say that in, in answering this question, when I think about this question, I think about this from the perspective of a guy that's been in technology for a long time. If I were to think about this from the perspective of a new, uh, a new matriculating student, a, a, a high school graduate that's going on for uh, higher education, I might look and say, you know, I've had great, wonderful, 
social interactions with my peers for a decade uh, with people that I've never met. And, and I may not think as a, as a new student that not having that one-to-one interaction with my favorite faculty member uh, is necessarily that big of a detriment. So coming to you, uh, David, if you were to look at all the different data that you're able to help collect, do you also have a recipe for success on where all this could be effectively utilized, or would you take pride in just showing them the insight and let the academia and their own management figure out what they use? What kind of pre- is, is there at all prescriptive angle to this, or you're just going to uh, provide the insight and that's where it stops? Uh, no, again, it's both. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the core part <clears throat> or a core part of, of what Newton does is to provide uh, a, a recommendation. Uh, it, I, I don't really want to say analogous to a Netflix or an Amazon, Netflix or an Amazon recommendation, but you could think of it kind of that way in that it, what it says to the <clears throat> student is, here's what you should be working on right now. Uh, and, so that's a core part of what we do, but the other part is analytics uh, that provide that insight back to parents and teachers uh, and instructors. Um, it's the combination of those two, the direct prescription to the student uh, and the additional insight uh, to uh, those around the student uh, who help that student learn that I think provides the the greatest overall benefit. Um, I mean, just as an, a simple example, I mean, just knowing that a student is at risk, right, being able to tell a faculty member, this student is, uh, you know, is in danger, right, uh, is important, right, and being able to tell them, here's why that student is, is at risk, here are the things that you might think about to help mediate that risk, uh, I think is even better. Uh, and actually affords, going back to what you and Charlie were just talking about, a greater opportunity for uh, student-teacher interaction uh, than they might have had before because now the instructor knows something about that student uh, that enables them to have a, a kind of direct and useful conversation with them uh, where before they might have just been uh, a face in a sea of faces. On behalf of the show and our listeners, I'd really like to thank both you and uh, David, you and Charlie for sharing your thoughts about how we can actually reform education with big data. Yes, there are some things which we still have to get a good answer for, but at least it looks like it is a movement in the right direction. And uh, thank you so much again. Oh, thank you very much. Happy to be here. And uh, listeners, hope you enjoyed uh, this interesting conversation around big data and how it can help education. Uh, Please like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart.